I announced it earlier, but we will not have Wednesday night church this week. Uh, there's no Wednesday night activities this Wednesday night. Everything will start back on our regular schedule next Wednesday night. So if I didn't announce that earlier, that way you guys get the word. Uh, I hope you had a very Merry Christmas and a, a wonderful holiday and time with your family. And I pray you have a safe New Year. If you have a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. I know it's tough to read it in the dark. Uh, so some of your eyesights are better than others, but you can mark it and go back and read it later. Some of you probably have this verse uh, memorized or at least recognize it. Uh, there's a story that's told of a little boy that uh, left his house after Christmas, and he had received all kinds of gifts, and uh, he, he left to the field that was adjacent to his house. And as he went out into the field, he put on his favorite baseball cap, and he pulled it down real low. And uh, in one hand, he had a brand-new baseball. In the other hand, he had his baseball bat. And uh, He went out into the middle of this field with this determined look on his face. And uh, as he got the ball, he rubbed his hand around it and gripped it real tightly, and he gripped the handle of the bat, and he threw the ball in the air with all of his strength, and he grabbed the bat quickly, and he stepped in. And as he stepped in, he said, it's the world's greatest hitter. And he swung, and the ball went to the ground. And he said, oh, strike one. And he reached down, picked up the ball, and dusted it off, and rubbed it on his pants, and gripped it again, and gripped the bat. And once again, he threw it in the air, and he gripped the bat. And with all of his might, he swung, shouting, it's the world's greatest hitter. And he swung. And again, the ball fell to the ground. He reached down, and this time, like many of us normally do when things like this happen, he looked at the ball, surely something's wrong with this ball, and he looked around, and you know, making sure there was not a hole in it, it was not a blong, or something was wrong, and he again wiped it off, he pulled his hat down a little closer over his eyes, and he gripped the bat, and for a third time, he threw it up into the air, and with all of his might, and as loud as he could, he said, I said it's the world's greatest hitter, and he swung, and again, that ball fell strike three, and without missing a bat, the little boy turned around and pulled his hat off and said, Ladies and gentlemen, the world's greatest pitcher. <laughs> now, as we end 2012, I don't know whether your life this last year would be described as being a hitter or a pitcher, but I do know that most of us can look back on the past year and see times that uh, we have struck out in the areas of our lives that God has called us to live. All of us live with strikeouts, mistakes, errors. And the question for us this morning is, how will we make 2013 any different? It's hard to believe we're on the cusp of another new year, isn't it? It's, uh, it seems like it just was the beginning of 2012 from 2011 or for some of you it just was 1999 or 1979 right it seems uh, they rushed so quickly by but I think the question for us as we come to the beginning of this new year is is this going to be a time of new beginning for us or is it just a change to our stationary so what what are you anticipating this year what are you looking forward to in the coming year do you uh, anticipate a time of renewal? Are you excited about the opportunities in this new year? Are you anticipating a great year? Or are you struggling with the idea of another year coming that quite possibly might be as bad as last year? Are you dreading what maybe the new year might bring and the news that the new year has? 
But you see, what I want to suggest to you is like the little boy with the bat, our attitude, our response, our heart passion, and the way we live in light of what happens in the coming year will really determine whether or not we're ahead of our picture. And it'll really determine whether or not 2013 is any different than 2012. And if there's anybody that I think the Bible has that can give greater advice to turning a corner, to making a difference in our lives, it's the Apostle Paul. You see, if there was anybody else, I, I can't think of them, that had faced such difficulty and such adversity and had come from such a place to be totally 180 degrees off of where he was in his life, but yet keep pressing forward and making a difference in people's lives. It's the Apostle Paul to not allow circumstances or situations to dictate how he lived. It was Paul. So look at, at his advice here. And what I want you to hear is I read this well-known passage in Philippians chapter 3. You know, it's, it's one of my favorite passages. I think it's the first uh, passage I ever really taught on as a youth pastor or as a college student trying to teach uh, because the idea of Paul loved athletics and this idea of, of, of comparing the life that we live to athletics was so uh, affirming to me and I worked with the uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes as a college student and worked with all different groups and I, I loved this matter of fact the the Bible that I have that I love to preach out of that many of you know that has the holes in it and it's been rebonded now two or three times that I, I love to preach out of it when I can uh, but uh, Philippians and Galatians won't stay in they even when they re-put it back together they tried to to fit it into the bonding and it wouldn't stay the pages are just so worn because I think I've taught out of Philippians and Galatians uh, well Philippians, Galatians, Colossians, um, Ephesians probably more than any other book in my 25 years of ministry because Paul just has such richness for the church and, and for us. And I believe he's got some great advice for you and I on how we can make a difference this year. I want you to listen to his heart. Listen to his determination. Listen to his passion. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect. What, what does that mean? He had just come in chapter 3 talk, talking about what it means to live the Christian life, what it means to live the fullness of Christ. He, he talks about the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ and the power of His resurrection and, and being able to experience Christ in such a way that everything else you experience in life is like rubbish. And, and so that was what he was teaching. And now here Paul says, but I haven't barely scraped the surface of experiencing that. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now you think, what a great translation, and I gave the early service the Message Bible translation, but a great translation of this is what he's saying basically is, I am pursuing God to until I come across the thing that he has saved me for. Now what does that mean? That means that I, I want to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. You see, the Bible says that each one of us have been redeemed with a purpose. You were saved by the grace of God, but you were gifted and called after that salvation for His purposes. To do something. To be something. God put a call on your life, and He gifted you with that call. And I don't know what that is. You may not even know that what that is because you haven't searched it out. But what Paul is saying is he continues to pursue laying hold of that, grabbing on to whatever it is that he's been gifted to do. And you say, now you say well, Paul was a missionary. Yes, but he was more. 
He was a teacher, and he was a preacher, and he was a, a, a tent maker, and he was a, a, an apostle. Yes, but he was more. You see, he, he was always pursuing to lay hold of that. I love that phrasing for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have to take hold of it. I, I love that. The apostle Paul, I'm not there yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, well-known passage. I've preached it several times here, not, not the way I'm going to share it with you this morning, but uh, I wanted you to see a couple of pieces of advice on making a difference this year. How What Paul is telling us that we can do differently to make 2013 better than 2012 or even 2011 or even 2010. Some of you that are living in 1999 still, even better than that. That you can make 2013 a year in which you lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of you. The first thing that he says there, it's obvious, uh, jumps right out. He says, not that I have already obtained all this. You see what Paul wants to help us understand is first thing we need to do to make a difference next year is realize that you are not finished. You are not done in the Christian life and in the Christian calling. There is no retirement age. Bless his heart. Uh, they continue to, to interview and show pictures of Billy Graham. And Billy Graham's over 90 and he's lived such a long and hard life and he looks so fragile. Uh, but his kids, you, you talk to him and they'll tell you, he won't stop. He's writing. He says, I've got books in me. I've got to get out before I go. He said, I've still got sermons. I've got to write before I go. You want to say, oh, you, you've done so much. Stop. But you see, he understood what Paul understood. There is no timeouts. There is no stop. There is no break. There is no retirement. I'm going full speed until God calls me home. See, what Paul says, first of all, is I'm not finished I'm not done. You see, so many of us think, well, I've done all I can. It's not my time anymore. I'll let somebody else do it. That's not biblical, not scriptural. I, you know, I, I'm just going to sit back now. And let's, you still have a gift. You still have a calling. Paul says, I have not, all the stuff that he's done, he says, I haven't even gotten to scratch the edge of the surface yet. I've still got something to do. Let me tell you something, church. It's time that we get back in the game. Too many of us are sitting on the sidelines while too few are doing all the work. Too many making excuses while others get burned out. But let me just say this. We, we are facing an epidemic in, in, of malaise. You know what malaise is? I, know I told the early service that was a big word for them. But malaise, surely some of you educated malaise. Just a, a simple depressed mood. With the economy and all that's going on in the world and the rumors of war, and the, the, there's just this heaviness, just a malaise. There is an outbreak of depression in the United States of America, even around the world, like never been before recorded. And, and I understand, I, I struggled with depression early on in my ministry. I'm talking about clinical depression. I understand the spiral that, that is there and the medical help that you need. But I'm just talking about a general malaise, just feeling depressed. No hope. Well, let me just ask you this, or state this. Maybe the reason so many people aren't happy, so many people are unfulfilled, is because they're not doing what God created them to do. 
You see, you've been gifted, you've been called, and the reason you're unhappy in your marriage, and the reason you're unhappy at work, and the reason you're unhappy with your kids and, and in relationships is because God gifted you and called you to do something, and somewhere in your life, you've made excuses, you've put it off, you've said no, you've said next year, and you're supposed to, and you'll never find fulfillment, true happiness, until you obey what God has called you. You see, it's time that some of us learn to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold. We've got twice the amount of work as we have people. We've got half the amount of people doing it. I'm talking about just here in our church. I'm a firm believer. God continues. We continue to grow and reach new families, and God is doing new things. But I believe we will not grow any further than we have the people to minister to, to our growth. And it stunts us. I've got a friend I was talking to over the Christmas holidays. I said, I don't understand. He started a church. God told him to start a church outside of Shreveport in a depressed area where people said, don't go start a church there. No, it'll never happen. Started, God said, this is where you're supposed to be. Planted a church, started in his home. Within five years, they now meet in the arena in Boger City, which is across from Shreveport. They have three services, over 5,000 people attending. How in the world did that happen? Because God said, this is what I want you to do. And he went and he began to do it. And I said, now what I don't understand is that in that service, they meet in an arena. So everything that they do to have those services in that church and all their children's stuff and all their youth, they have two 18-wheelers that they bring every Sunday morning and back up to that arena. And four hours before the first service starts, they have teams of volunteers that come. People come once every two months is their team. They come and they spend three and a half hours unpacking everything that they're going to need for those hours of service. And then they have church, and then teams, other teams come and stay after church. I couldn't believe it. I said, you mean people stay around after noon? They stay around after church. They're not rushing to go eat. They say, I'm going to stay around. And they help pack it all. I said, how in the world? We can't even get people to commit to the nursery. We can't get people to commit to spending an extra 15 minutes. He said, because they've taken ownership. You see, we've got too many people that are not willing to commit, that are not willing to take ownership, that are not willing to say, this is what God has called me to do, and I'm going to do it. Whether that means giving or whether that means teaching or whether that means standing and holding a door or singing in a choir or going out with one of our ministry or mission teams. It means finding that which God laid hold of you for. See, what Paul is saying is if you want to make a difference in 2013, you've got to get off the sidelines. You want 2013 to be different in 2012, you need to recognize that in the Christian world, you're not retired. You still have a purpose Second thing he tells us is that we need to recognize the value of time. Paul talks about making the most of our time. See, we don't realize how valuable time is until we get too old to appreciate it, don't we? You want to talk to somebody about the value of a year? Talk to somebody who's failed a school grade, and they'll tell you how valuable a year is. You want to know how valuable a year is? Talk to somebody who's been given a year to live, they'll tell you how valuable a year is. What about the value of a month? Why don't you talk to a mother whose baby came prematurely? She'll tell you the value of one month. What about the value of a week? Talk to the person who lives check to check. Depends on a weekly check to make it and make ends meet. What about the value of an hour? 
Have you ever had to sit with someone who's terminally ill waiting for a loved one to arrive? An hour seems like so quick. What about a minute? Ask someone who's ever missed a plane or a meeting by a minute. What about the value of one second? Talk to the Olympic athlete who will tell you that the difference in a second is the difference between gold and no medals. Talk to the person who's saying goodbye to a loved one for the last time. They'll tell you that second is valuable. You see, we need to recognize the value of time. Why is time so valuable? We say time is valuable. What makes it valuable? Well, things usually get value according to their rarity. When something is scarce, it becomes valuable, right? When it's not scarce, it's not valuable. And you see, I think what happens is, is, is even though the Bible, God's not stuck in time, we measure our lives according to the segments of time. And, and, and I think there's a generation gap because we view time differently according to our age, right? The Bible statisticians tell us that, that most Americans will live to be 75 years old. Well, if you're 25, 75 is a long way off, isn't it? But if you're 50, it's coming on soon. If you're 80, you're on borrowed time, amen? <laughs> you see, it's so precious. Because you see, what happens is, 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 is the older you get, the more precious it gets. The, the more important it gets. And, and when you're 20, it's not that important at all. So it's nothing to spend four and six hours playing a video game and, and enjoying it because time just goes. But when you're 60, four to six hours on a video game is crazy, right? And so when the older you get, you look, that's why there's a generation gap. That's why we don't see the same things in each other because we see time differently. What we need to understand is the value of time and what time means. The Bible says life is brief. Matter of fact, the Old Testament compares it to a weaver's shuttle that rapidly goes back and forth. The, the shadows of the summer that quickly fades. The grass that grows up and dies and is no more. Is it any wonder that the psalmist says, What is a man that you are mindful of him? That quick, we're in and out. I was thinking about the scarcity and the rarity of time how we waste so much of it. And I looked up sociologists that they spend their whole life doing these sort of things have determined that if we live to be 75 years old, what we spend our life doing, and I want to just break it down for you and just have you think about this for just a moment. If we live to be 75 years old, we will have spent three solid years, 24 hours a day, three solid years in education. Three solid 24-hour days a year on middle school, elementary, high school, and college. Three solid years. If we live to be 75 years of age, we will have spent seven years, 24 hours a day eating. Seven years, 24, now some more, some less, obviously. Okay, I, I leave that to you. Some of us may be a little more than seven hours, some a little less, but seven hours. Seven years, I'm sorry, seven years, 24 hours a day, seven years of eating. That's a lot of eating. We will have spent 14 years of those 75 years, 24 hours a day, in our work careers. 14 years. We will have spent five of those years just riding in vehicles, just going and coming. Five of those years talking to other people, interacting, visiting with others. We will have spent one of those years of the 75 years sick, 
are recovering from sickness right now. It seems like it's a lot more than one year uh, for some of us that have been sick with this flu bug. But one year, just one, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we'll have spent sick. We'll have spent 24 years sleeping, almost a third of our life sleeping. 24 years of our life is spent sleeping. Three years reading magazines, books, the internet, uh, reading things. And we will have spent 12 years of our lives amusing ourselves. 12 years of our lives in our hobbies, fun things, watching TV, doing other things. 12 years of our lives. You realize that's four times more than we've spent in education. So it's almost as much time as we will have spent in our working careers. So I saw those statistics and I started thinking, well, what about church? I know this isn't all we do as a church, but this is part of it. This hour that we gather together and worship. And people always tell me, I, we spend too much time in church and we're here too long. People always tell me, Pastor, you need to hurry up and get done. We're running late. So, so let's say, how much time of that life, if we spend too much in church and in worship, will it be spent? So, so I took it and figured it up. If we come to church every day, every Sunday that we could come in those 75 years, if you're here every Sunday morning for that hour of worship, you will have spent a little under five and a half months in worship. You say, well, Pastor, I've come to Sunday school. Come to Wednesday night, right? Okay, let's double it. You would have spent two hours in church every, not missing one. So those people that are snowed in today, they don't count. Okay, so not missing one. Every Sunday, two hours for 75 years, you will have spent 11 months in worship, corporate worship. Three years just reading, internet, five years talking. 12 years entertaining ourselves, 11 months in church. It says something about our priorities. It says something about our time. See, what Paul wants us to understand is we carry a very valuable commodity in a very fragile vessel. But this thing can be broken like that. And all the time that we carry can be poured out, spilled. Paul wants us to understand is that as we pursue God with everything we have, we need to live every moment, every second, as if it's our last. Because we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised this afternoon. He says, if you want to live a different life in 2013, make the most of it with your family. Make the most of it with those you love and care about. Make the most of it sharing the shining the light of Christ. He says we need to get back in the game. We need to make the most of time. And then the third thing, and this is what I'm going to wrap it up with, which is probably uh, the hardest thing that he says for us to do. I don't, it may be impossible. He says, one thing I do, I forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead. It sounds like two opposite actions. One thing I do, and then he says two things. That's a literary, biblical term that's called parallelism. It's when it seems like you're supposed to do two separate things, but really in doing those two separate things, it's one thing. Now people, when I, when I say we need to forget our past, people say, that's impossible, Pastor. And it really is, isn't it? God has gifted us with a memory that is unbelievable. I heard a sociologist when I was reading this week that said our memory is like a film strip that's always running 
And it, it doesn't go forward or backward. It's always running so that if we see a picture or we get a smell or we hear a song, that it will automatically take us to that place in our life's film strip. And we can feel the same emotion and have the same smells. Have you ever done that? You ever been driving and a song came on that you hadn't heard in 30 years and all of a sudden you're back in junior high or back in high school or college and you're at a dance or, or maybe you see a picture and, and you can smell the beach because you remember what it smelled like because of that picture. It's almost impossible to forget our past. What's Paul saying here that we're supposed to forget what is behind? He's not saying that we can forget. What he's saying is we don't need to allow our past to keep us in bondage from our future. There's a lot of Christians that do that. A lot of people that allow their past mistakes to keep them from moving forward. A lot of you that are, you're, you feel so guilty because of a mistake that you made, something that you've done in your past, something that was said to you, something that you said to somebody else, and it keeps you year after year. It's like dragging chains. It keeps you from going on with what God has for you. What Paul says is you need to get out of that hostage situation and let it go move on. You need to face the future and begin to move ahead. If anybody knew anything about that, it was Paul. I mean, Paul had a reason. I mean, he, he killed Christians with rocks. He stoned them. Fellow believers. If it was anybody that lived in the past and would feel guilty, it was Paul. But he says, I live by the grace of God and I move forward. So some of you need to put your past behind. But that's not just past, past defeats. You need to put your past accomplishments behind. You know what church sociologists tell you the greatest killer of churches is? It's churches that live on their past accomplishments. And it's the same thing with Christians. See, most of us, I've given the illustration before, but I wonder what would happen if I took this mic and I said, we're going to take the next 10 minutes and be done. And it's Christmas week. And surely Christmas week, God will have done some incredible things in all of our lives. And so I'm going to take this mic and we're going to pass it around. I'm going to have you stand. And you're going to share with the congregation what God did in and through you this holiday Christmas week. Now just saying that made some of you nervous, didn't it? What will you say? What would you say that God did in and through you this week? What would you say God used you for, or God taught you, or God showed you? Did you see what happens is so many of us, the greatest moments of our Christian life are in our distant past. See, some of us would have said, oh, I remember this trip I went on, and I remember when God did this back in the past, or I remember that time at camp or that time at church during revival, and I got goosebumps and came down to the altar, and that was a great moment. Those are all great stories, but that can't be our future. You see, we've got a lost and dying and a hurting world that is looking at us and saying, what does this matter? We just came out of a time when, when God reminded the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. The world's just been reminded of that. And we as a church have got to rise up and stop living in the past and start looking ahead and recognize that we are a walking testimony to that fact. And the reason there's a malaise, the reason the world seems to be going worse and down is because we're sitting on the sidelines. You see what Paul is trying to tell the church, what he's trying to tell us as Christians is it's time to get in the game. It's time to, to realize that you've got a part. No matter what part that is, you've got a part. 
And you need to make every moment count. Every second count. And you need to forget about what's happened yesterday and what happened last year and what happened ten years ago. And you need to go forward with Him to lay a hold of that. And then the last thing He says, I love what He says. He says, I run the race to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward. Basically He's saying what I read to you earlier from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As I move forward... My goal is that everything I do, I do to the glory of God. When I take a test, when I go to work, when I make that sale, when I write that check, when I call my son or daughter on the phone or go out to lunch or dinner with my spouse, I want to do it to the glory of God. You see... 2013 can be different. But it's up to you. 2013 has yet to be written. I can't say whether you'll be a hitter or a pitcher. You make that decision. And it starts today. Father, I thank you so much that we can walk out of our past and not be held to it. Father, I thank you that we walk in forgiveness and grace and mercy to face a future. But Father, there's too many believers that are living in their past, their past mistakes. They're believing the lies that this world has told them that uh, they're not good enough or they're not smart enough or they're not fast enough. Father, there's some believers that are here today that you're calling to specific purposes. And they're making those excuses because of their past from doing what you've called them to, from laying hold of that which you laid hold of them. Father, I believe there's probably some here that are supposed to do mission work. Some here that are supposed to pursue you more than they have. Some that are supposed to start new careers, new directions. God, open their eyes. Let them hear your voice, not mine. Let them be obedient to you. Father, I I just pray that that I don't know what the future holds, but but I know who holds the future. And I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to give everything that I have the way Paul did. I'm going to press on and press in and commit and dive in. Father, you do your work in your people. In your name. We're going to close with a time of invitation. The invitation this morning is just I'm going to open the altars to prayer in just a moment as we sing and give you an opportunity just to come and pray. I don't know what the Holy Spirit may be doing in your life, but I know there's a lot of us that um, we struck out last year. This time last year we had the best of intentions, the best hopes the best plans but somewhere along the path something sidetracked us we swung and we missed and we gave up somebody said something hurtful and it kicked us out of the game or we lost our temper we couldn't get it back this year you have the power within you to 
change. To make a difference. To make a difference, not just... I, I want you to dream big. Not just in your family. Not just in your marriage. Not just in your kids' lives. and your grandkids' lives. You have a chance to make a difference in this community. In North Carolina. In the world. I believe some of you. If you'll listen to his voice. We're going to sing this song something everyone's heard before him number 305 I have decided to follow Jesus and that's the question really this morning because Paul said I am pursuing that for which Christ Jesus pursued me I'm following Jesus follow me will you this morning so I'm going to open the altars for you to pray maybe to pray that you would hear God's voice maybe to pray that you would take advantage of the new opportunity maybe to pray that you can put something in your past behind you I don't know I don't know what the Holy Spirit wants to do, but that's the invitation. Will you follow Jesus? No turning back. No turning back. Would you stand as Charlie leads us? Hymn number 305. If you need to pray, the altars are open. Let's sing this committed to him. sing that first verse again. I just feel the Holy Spirit, and, and I'm not trying to extend anything. I just feel the Holy Spirit just working in, in one of our lives, and I, I don't want to cut it off and walk away until you've just been obedient. I don't know what he's saying, and I don't know how he's saying it. I'm just telling you my spirit. Maybe some of you are fighting your past. Maybe something that you just need to let go of. Maybe it's a future that you see, but you're not willing to say yes to. I Maybe you're fighting that, making excuses, and he's just asking you to let go and let your hands off of it. I don't know what it is, but I, I'm afraid that if we stop right now, that you're going to push it out of your mind and your heart and walk away making excuses, and 2013 won't be what God wants it to be. So we're going to sing that one more verse. I just ask you to be obedient. I just ask you to listen to the Holy Spirit. It may not end here this morning, but just be obedient to hear his voice to what he's saying. I want to be sensitive. Let's sing that again. I have decided. 
Amen. I am excited to be in the house of God with the people of God. And I thank you for coming this morning. I hope that you had more than a church time and more than just coming and singing some songs. I hope you had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And I pray each one of you that you have a blessed New Year's with your family and with your friends. And I pray that as you run into the new year, as you greet the new year, that you run with everything that you have to lay hold of that which Christ Jesus laid hold of you. God bless each and every one of you. As you grab the hand of your neighbor as we sing our hymn of dismissal.